of all the things of this creation that we can enjoy and praise God for, Jesus is above all. Let me just tell you briefly, uh, for us who visited up north uh, over the last two weeks, um, we were praising God for the cool weather. Uh, we were feeling for you and with you uh, during the last two weeks when it was so hot here in Austin. Uh, but as the song has just sung, fair is the beautiful creation and all the beautiful things we see in God's creation, even the cool weather of the north and the dreading heat of the south in these seasons. Jesus is more cool than anything we can enjoy in these hot days of the summer. And we want to ho- look this morning to encouragements for gospel ministry. If you were to assign some words that describe the book of Romans, if you were to think, especially those of you who are in IT and computer stuff, if you were to think of some tag words that you could assign to the book of Romans... What would those words be? What would those tag lines be for the book of Romans? Take a few moments to consider. Would it be something like justification by faith? Or Christian theology? Or deep doctrine? Those would be good words to describe a part of what the book of Romans is about. And yet there's so much more to this book than just deep doctrine or justification by faith. Although this book is full of both of those. I've asked some pastor friends of mine if they have preached to the book of Romans. Not just places here and there from the book of Romans, but if they've preached the whole book of Romans. And one of them said, not yet. I don't feel ready for it. Another said, I will leave that for when I'm older in ministry. And I thought, why would you do that? Is it because it's too deep, too intimidating? Well, the book of Romans is deep. It is full of wonderful and deep doctrine. But after writing the most theologically dense book that Paul wrote, he closes this letter with a rather long section, with a rather long introduction, uh, uh, conclusion, telling us why he wrote the book. Why did Paul write such a theologically heavy book? And the answer is because of the gospel ministry. Because of the gospel ministry. So we're going to look at this morning at the theme of encouragements for gospel ministry ministry. Let's open God's Word to Romans 15. We'll be reading from verse 14 all the way to verse 21. Uh, Romans 15 verse 14 to 21. Here is God's Word as we begin uh, the conclusion of this book. The Apostle Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. 
But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for you and for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Amen. This is God's word for us this morning. Would you join me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of his word? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for bringing to us your word. Thank you that we get to sit around your word. We have eaten of the supper that tells us of what Christ has done for us. And Father, this word now that we're about to hear tells us what Christ is doing for us and through us. Father, I pray that you would speak through me to this congregation, to this gathering. We need your spirit. I need your spirit to proclaim this word, and we need it to hear it. So would you give us your Holy Spirit in a fresh way for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. If we compared the book of Romans and our journey through the book of Romans to an airplane ride, not in terms of flying in the cockpit, but as a, as a passenger, this text would be like the announcement that we're about to descend. This text, even though we are still ways away from the actual closing of the book, this text is actually the clue by which Paul is telling us, I'm wrapping things up. We've been in this sermon series for 30 plus 33 sermons so far, and there's a few more to go. Um, We want to ask and see, why did Paul write such a theologically dense and heavy letter. Here he is telling us an explicit summary of why Paul would write such a long and extensive book. And the answer is, it's because of the gospel ministry. I wonder if you picked up as I read the text, the several times of repetitions of the, of the word, the gospel. The gospel of God, or the gospel of Christ. The gospel is repeated here several times, and it's the reason why Paul is in ministry. It's the reason why he is about to see them. It's the reason why he wrote this book. 
the ministry in God entrusted to Paul is a ministry in the gospel. And it's not just a ministry in the gospel, but it's a ministry that the church of Rome is already displaying, living it out. And they are encouraged through this letter to participate in this mission, in this ministry that Paul is called by God to do. As a matter of fact, Paul is writing this letter to a church that he has never visited. He's writing this letter to encourage them to support him financially for the gospel ministry. And you're wondering, wait, all these, all these chapters, 15 so far that we have traveled through, all of this to encourage a church to engage and participate in the gospel ministry? Yes. It's as if the book of Romans is a missions tract. A, a book that is encouraging the church in Rome to get clear about the gospel, to be encouraged in this gospel ministry, so that they would participate in the spread of it. In my prayer and hope, as we wrap up this sermon series, we're, we're not over yet, but we're just announcing that we're about to descend here in a few weeks. My hope and prayer that after we have spent 30 plus sermons digging through the book of Romans, we would be impacted not only in having greater theological truths uh, put in our minds so that we are growing in our understanding of this gospel, but also that we would have bigger hearts for gospel ministry. What we see, what we see in these first, this first part of the conclusion of this book is a detailed picture of Paul's heart for the gospel ministry. And this gospel ministry is, and this picture is not only here to describe Paul's heart so that we may see it, it's actually so that the believers in the church of Rome would be encouraged to partake, to take a part in it, and guess what would be our take from this, is so that we too would be encouraged to partake in the gospel ministry ourselves. So I'm entitling this message, Encouragements for Gospel Ministry. Just as the Christians of Rome needed this encouragement, we need it too. So here's my plea for us this morning. We need encouragement for the gospel ministry. We need encouragement for gospel ministry. And surprisingly, in this letter, the ones who needed the encouragement for gospel ministry were not the vocational pastors or the vocational missionaries or the vocational apostle. In this book, the, one who needed, the ones who needed this encouragement for gospel ministry were the members of the church. The entire letter is for them and for us as well. We need encouragement for the gospel ministry. And we see this encouragement uh, showing up in, in three ways in this, in this passage. The first point of this encouragement is that even a good church needs reminders. Even a good church needs reminders. We'll see also that the gospel ministry is a grace given by God. 
The gospel ministry is a grace given by God. And finally, the gospel ministry is about Christ working through you. The gospel ministry is about Christ working through you. Even a good church needs reminders. Paul begins this uh, conclusion to his letter by encouraging the church in Rome. The gospel that he has been speaking about, even though Paul did not preach this gospel to them, others have, this gospel was transforming many lives in Rome. How do we know that? Well, because Paul is encouraging them, explicitly telling them of the evidences of God's grace in their lives that he sees in them. Look at how Paul describes the church of Rome in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. What an encouragement. What an encouragement. It's a big deal for the Apostle Paul to say these words about a church. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. This is so different than what Paul would write to other churches, like the churches in Galatia, where he said, I am shocked, I'm perplexed that you have walked away from the true gospel, that you have allowed distortions of the true gospel to creep in among you, and you're following those who are distorting the gospel. That was Paul's attitude towards the, church in, the churches in Galatia. But here in Rome... Even though he is writing a book about the gospel of being justified by faith alone, just like in Galatians, here the situation and the audience to whom he is writing is so different. And therefore, his pastoral tone is so different than in Galatians. Here Paul says, I am satisfied about you, my brothers. What an encouragement. Paul takes time to encourage and affirm that these brothers and sisters in Christ, in the, book of, in, in the church of Rome, were allowing, were, were, were letting the gospel transform their lives in such a way that Paul says, you are full of goodness, you are full, filled with all knowledge, and you are able to instruct one another. Three wonderful characteristics about any church. Any church should, should desire to have these things said about them. These descriptions are exactly the opposite of what Paul wrote that humanity uh, was like in Romans chapter 1. Remember Romans 1? Paul said they were filled, humanity, rebelling against God. The effects of that rebellion and the effects of the wrath of God against humanity is that now humanity, human beings, were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. This is what sin does to us. But here, the church in Rome are hearing a different description about them. They are filled with goodness. They're filled with all knowledge. They're able, instead of envying one another, Instead of doing evil to one another, they're able to instruct one another. 
how did, how did this change happen to the church of Rome? Well, this is what the gospel does. And Paul is celebrating, by this encouragement, he is celebrating the transformative power of the gospel in people's lives. Oh, friends, any pastor longs to see such characteristics among his people. This is the kind of church any of us would love to be in. Well, let me say this. This is the kind of church I love being in. Because the Lord has been doing the same work here in so many among us, in so many of you. Praise be to God. This is why we are a church, that we would proclaim this gospel, that we would equip one another with this gospel, and those who hear it and respond by repentance and faith can be encouraged, can be encouraged to, to live a life that reflects the goodness of God, a life that continues to grow in the knowledge of God, and a life in which we actually keep one another accountable, and we instruct one another. By the way, this word for able to instruct one another stands at the, at the heart of one of our values that we encourage here in the life of our church, and that is one-on-one -on -one discipling. We want to encourage and equip each other to speak the word of God in each other's lives so we can, we can instruct each other. And the word for instructing is not simply to give you a Bible lesson. It's rather it's a word for admonishing. It's a word for correcting when necessary. That's why in our church covenant, part of our covenant of what it means to belong to this congregation is that not only we commit to encourage one another, but when necessary, to admonish each other. Paul says about the Christians in Rome, you are able to do this. This is what the power of the gospel does. And I'm so encouraged to say, I think we are the kind of church that these values are already present among us. But notice what Paul is doing here. He is taking time to go out of his way to specifically encourage these Christians about the transformative power of the gospel in their lives. Let me ask you, do you take time to encourage others when you see evidences of God's grace in their lives? Do you do what Paul did here to say, I am satisfied about you, my brothers? Can you say about your brothers and sisters in this congregation, I am satisfied about you? What a grace that is. This is a ministry of encouragement to go out of your way and not just say, oh, you're a blessing to me in, in a general way, but to be specific. What exactly? How exactly do you see others growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord? Go out of your way to affirm others in their faith. The church of Rome had many good things going for it. And it caused Paul to publicly affirm them and encourage them. And his affirmation is now part of inspired scripture. How sweet that these compliments made it into the Bible as characterizing a local church. And yet, Paul says, even though I am satisfied about you, even though I see these evidences of God's grace of the gospel being lived out among you, yet there are things Paul needed to teach and to remind them about for the sake of this gospel ministry. Look at verse 14, uh, 15. He says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. 
What a, what a way to think about the book of Romans. Oh, here's just some reminders for you. Oh, not a big deal. Just a few reminders. Friends, even a healthy, growing church needs reminders. And those reminders are found throughout this entire book. Now, I've been wondering, what are some of those bold sections, some of those heavy, bold sections that Paul is thinking about when he says, and at some points I have written to you very boldly. I've wondered if it's chapters 1, 2, and 3, particularly when Paul challenged the Jewish Christians who became complacent in their Jewish heritage as if they were superior and not needing to depend on the grace of God. I wonder if that was one of the bold sections. Or perhaps it was chapter 6 and 7 where Paul challenged the complacent Christians, Gentiles or Jews alike, who took the grace of God for granted as an excuse for letting sin go unchecked in their lives. And for them, for those who thought, oh, if I'm saved by grace, I can, I can live however I want. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So Paul has to do some correcting in their view of, of sanctification. I wonder if that was part of the more bold sections. Or perhaps it was chapter 9, 10, and 11. Those sections that some preachers even skip altogether in preaching. They're just too heavy. Too bold, where Paul shows that both Jews and Gentiles uh, are dependent upon the sovereign grace of God to bring about salvation into their souls, and that the plan of God, sovereign though it is, has not failed even if many Jewish people have rejected the Messiah. Friends, the Christians in the Church of Rome needed to be reminded of the various facets of God's grace so that they would not grow complacent or entitled or misuse that grace of the gospel in their lives individually or as a church. Well, friends, the book of Romans is not only a treasure for deep theology, it's a book of reminders for the Christian life. It's a book of reminders about what the unfolding grace of God does in the life of a church but it's also not only a book of reminders for the life of the church, it's a book of reminders for the mission of the church. After all, Paul writes this book to encourage the church of Rome to get engaged in missions, to support him in the work of spreading this gospel to the ends of the earth. Friends, this is why the churches, even good ones and growing churches, need to keep hearing the word of God. Even though they are full of goodness, even though they are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another, Paul says, here's the book of Romans. You still, you still need more reminders, more encouragement, and the word of God, this book, is the encouragement. Pastors need to keep teaching the word of God and proclaiming the word of God, even to those who know it. Sometimes in our Christian lives, we feel like, wow, I know so much of the Bible, can just doze off. I got it. I don't need to have all this regular exposure to the Word of God. Here's the example of a church who got it. They are encouraged and affirmed by Paul that they're in the right track, that they are full of knowledge, and yet Paul says, and you still need to be reminded of it. So here's the book of Romans for you. 
Oh, friends, even those parts of the Bible that seem to be heavy on theology and are, are perhaps more difficult to get into, Paul says, listen, they are for you. They are for me. They are for our regular encouragement and reminder in sound living under the grace of God. This is the reason why Paul wrote the book, because even good churches need reminders of what it means to live under grace. But the second point Paul tells us here in this, in this text, why he gives the, the reminder to the church of Rome, is because the assignment that God has given him to be an apostle for the Gentiles, this church needs to understand that assignment. Verse 15, Paul tells us about what compels him to do the work he does. And here Paul tells us the second encouragement for gospel ministry. Gospel ministry is a grace given by God. Gospel ministry is a grace given by God. Friend, the grace of God is not merely limited to offering salvation to us. When God taps on our hearts to make His salvation known to others... That, too, is a grace from God. And this is how Paul speaks of his ministry here in this text, as a grace given to him by God. Look at verse 15 and then verse 16. Paul says, But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of, of reminder. And then he says, Because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Paul now begins telling us a little bit about his call as an apostle. And he views his ministry calling as a grace. Ministry calling is a grace. Not just salvation is a grace. Not just being called to be saved is by grace, but the call to go and make this gospel known is also a grace. Now, Paul's calling in some ways is unique and different than the calling of any of us. He was called as an apostle. He was entrusted with a special mission to take the gospel beyond the ethnic boundaries of, of ethnic Israel and to take it to the Gentiles. And God endowed Paul with a special power and, and that power is shown in manifestations of miraculous displays to confirm that this message that Paul was proclaiming was not a mere human word, was not mere human opinions, that actually this was the word of, of the divine God. And God gave divine power to enable this apostle to exhibit publicly so that what came out of his mouth was accompanied by the attestation of God, of God's power, these miraculous signs, so people would know, hey, this is not mere human words. This is the word of God. In the apostolic age, the apostles and the prophets who were given this divine message to be inscripturated, to be revealed, oftentimes had these divine seals, miraculous manifestations, so that it would attest the veracity, the truthfulness of the message. The apostolic charge and commission was unique to Paul, as we will see uh, more next week. But even if the charge Paul, God gave Paul 
had some elements that were unique to his apostolic role, there are also other dimensions of Paul's calling that are overlapping with ours for all of us. Even if none of us are called into this apostolic office the way Paul was, there's still some wonderful things for us to learn about the ministry of the gospel. And I hope that those would encourage us this morning. One of those lessons for us to learn is that engaging in gospel ministry is not merely a duty or a burden, but a grace given by God. Engaging in the ministry of the gospel is not merely a duty or a burden, but a grace given by God. Sometimes people are inclined to see the work of ministry as a duty and as a burden. And let me tell you, it is both. It is a duty. It is a command that we have received from the Lord Jesus himself. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. It is given to the apostles, and it is given through them to all of us. It is a duty. It's also a burden. Ministry is a burden. It oftentimes inconveniences us. It calls us away from what we would rather do in our sinful fleshly interests to call us to do those things that are selfless, sacrificial. In our sinful flesh, we would rather do something else rather than gospel ministry. But here Paul describes his ministry as a grace he received from God. How often even Christians might think about evangelism as a mere duty or as a burden, something that we are fearful of, uncomfortable doing. And yet, even though there are reasons for us to feel that way, there are human reasons why it's understandable why any of us and all of us, we might feel that way, Paul speaks of the call to speak this gospel as a grace given to us, to him. For Paul, engaging in gospel ministry was such a privilege. I wonder if you think of gospel ministry in the same way. Even if you're not a vocational minister of the gospel, uh, even if you're not doing uh, vocationally as a career, like Paul was a a missionary and an apostle, even if you may not be a a vocational pastor or a, a vocational missionary like Ruth is in the Middle East, all of us in the ministry that God has called us to be and engage in, can you think of it not merely as a duty or as a burden, but as a grace? Oh, friends, the grace of God is not merely that which brings us to the Lord and saves us, but it is that grace which calls us to serve the Lord, to make this gospel by which we have come to salvation, to make it known to others. Some, like Paul, are called to overseas missions. So glad that the Lord called Ruth from among us to go and serve in the Middle East. Others are called by the Lord to be pastors, either vocationally, uh, like I am, or non-vocationally, like Pastor Russ or Pastor Ryan among us. Others are called by the Lord to do mercy ministries, 
And there are members in this congregation that the Lord has put a burden, in a good sense of the word burden, to serve the Lord and to help us and lead us in various mercy ministries in our city so that the name of Jesus would be made known through acts of service. Praise be to God for that calling, for that burden. Others may not feel to be called to a vocational ministry in some way, shape, or form, but all of us are called to be ready to share Christ with co-workers and friends. But the, way, the point I want to encourage you and I this morning is to look at it not merely as a duty or as a burden, but as a grace received by God, from God. Now, how is this gospel ministry a grace, you may wonder? How is it a grace? Well, Paul describes his own ministry of the gospel by using the imagery of a priest bringing sacrifices to God. Look at verse 16. He says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Proclaiming the gospel of God is a priestly service. Now let me clarify what I don't mean by this and what I do mean by it. I do not mean it to say that the gospel must be proclaimed only by those who are priests or pastors, only by those who are in vocational ministry. No, that is not the meaning of what Paul is saying and doing here. Rather, he's saying that every time Christ's followers proclaim the gospel of God, that act of proclamation is fulfilling a priestly role. So when Paul, as an apostle, is proclaiming the gospel, he is fulfilling a priestly role of the gospel of Christ. Friends, have you considered that every time and any time you share the gospel with others, you are fulfilling a priestly role which God has actually given to every believer? And this is not news only for, for New Testament times. In the Old Testament, God told the entire Jewish nation that they were called to be a royal priesthood. The entire nation was supposed to be that. Friends, when we share the gospel with others, we fulfill a priestly service of the gospel of God. Paul uses the imagery of a priestly service not only to describe his role in this work, but also to describe the hearers who hear and receive it. What role do they have in this image of the priestly service of the gospel? The hearers, those who hear and respond, have a place in this imagery of the priests for the gospel of God. What is their role? Look at verse 16. Paul says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Do you see what role the hearers and the audience plays in this image? They are the offering. They are the offering that the priests would bring to the Lord in worship. Now, this is a puzzling role for people to play, for people to be the offering. They end up being the, the offering of worship that priests would normally bring to present to God. 
In Old Testament times, uh, the offerings that worshippers would bring to the temple to be sacrificed by the priests were either animals or produce, like grains. These would be the means by which Jewish people would worship God. The worship would come, bring the animal, bring the grain, bring the priest, the priest would offer it on the altar, and that would be the means of worshiping God. But here Paul is saying that he is not only playing the priestly role in the active proclamation of this gospel, but that those who get to receive it, to respond to it, become the offering. It's not the first time in the letter, in this letter, that people are described as a sacrifice. Remember how Paul began the application section of the book of Romans in chapter 12, verse 1? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to view our entire lives as devoted to God so that God would be worshipped through our whole being. And now Paul is saying that the purpose of his gospel ministry is that he, the priest, would now present these lives, those who have responded to the gospel, as an offering to God. And that this whole process, this whole picture, priestly picture, would be a means by which God would be worshipped. Oh, friends, if you are a Jew hearing this picture and hearing these words, these would shock you. Here's why. Because Paul is saying that the, the people who would be offerings on this altar would not only be people, but would be the Gentiles. The Gentiles were excluded from the worship of God. Even when they showed up to the temple, there were only certain quarters in the temple that they were allowed to walk into. They were not allowed to walk close up to where the, people, the priests were bringing these offerings. They were not allowed to bring an offering in certain parts of the temple. They were excluded. And now Paul says, through the ministry of this gospel, now the Gentiles who had been excluded, kept out, out of fellowship, outcasts from the worship of God, they are now not only coming close to the altar to watch it and see it, they are actually the offering that the priest is bringing to God. The unclean, the defiled, the sinful are now brought to God as an offering and they are acceptable to God. They are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is what the gospel ministry does. This is why it's a grace because extending this news to others in such a way that it, it brings such a change, such a transformation, it's like, wow, it's a grace. Friends, when we engage in gospel ministry, it's not merely a duty or a burden. It's a grace. And Paul gives us such a sweet assurance that helps us understand how this gospel ministry is transforming 
people and this gospel ministry will not fail. Notice what Paul says that causes people to be offerings that are acceptable and sanctified. It's the Holy Spirit. Our sanctification certainly involves our effort to put away sin from our lives, to repent of it, to confess it, to fight against it, to put it to death, to mortify it. And this is, this is a process of sanctification. But what makes this process of sanctification possible and effective is actually the Holy Spirit's work in us. Friends, apart from the Holy Spirit's work to produce in us the new birth, to set us apart for the, for the purposes of God, and to put in us the desire and the ability to fight sin off, none of us would be able to be such, a, such an offering to God, acceptable and sanctified. But because of the Holy Spirit's work, this offering is now acceptable and sanctified. Oh, friends, these are the great motivations why Paul was involved in the ministry of the gospel and for why, for him, he looked at this gospel ministry as a grace received from God. Friends, is it worth devoting yourself to growing in confidence and clarity to share this gospel? Is it worth you taking time to grow in understanding how to communicate this gospel? Absolutely. Through this gospel, people become offerings to God. Through this gospel, people's lives get changed. This is why I want to encourage us to take this, these, month, these weeks, these months in the summer. Uh, while many of us are traveling, uh, some of us are here, uh, some of us come back, and life is just a little slower in Austin in the summertime. But take time in this slower season of life when you're sheltering in place from the heat outside, when just sitting inside and wondering, what can I do? I got to sit inside away from the heat. Don't just look at a screen. Take a book. Look up resources that help you sharpen your understanding of the gospel. Read them and meet with other believers to talk about them so that you are ready to engage in this gospel ministry, in this gospel proclamation. I want to encourage you to Take up resources like What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert or Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks About Jesus by Max Stiles or One-to-One -one Bible Reading by David Helm or Conversion by Michael Lawrence. Pick up resources like this. They're short to read. You can find them on our bookstall and meet up with another believer to sharpen your understanding and your readiness to engage in this gospel ministry. This, if, if this is what the gospel produces in the lives of people, is it worth our time to sharpen our tools, to sharpen ourselves in confidence, in clarity, so that when the Lord brings opportunities to us day in, day out, we would be ready with this gospel. I'm going to encourage you um, to use this summer intentionally to sharpen up in your gospel ministry. I'm excited about equipping our college students uh, to be ready for the fall. We, Lord willing, we will start another season of evangelistic Bible study on, on the UT campus, uh, encouraging Ethan and Caroline Young to prepare to lead that group so that we are ready. Uh, but I want to encourage us in the season when things are a little slow and dry and hot, let's look at the grace God has given us, not only to experience the salvation, but the grace He has given us to make this salvation known. And finally, 
The last encouragement that we get from this passage, gospel ministry is about Christ's work through you. Gospel ministry is about Christ's work through you. In Romans 15, 17, Paul says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. It's a bit surprising to hear Paul say, I am proud. I have reasons to be proud of my work for God. Especially because in so many other places, Paul resisted when he was under pressure to boast and when others put him under pressure to boast about his apostolic ministry, he generally refused to boast about it. And yet here, Paul is saying, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. His boasting, though, is, is different here. He quickly qualifies it. He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reasons to be proud of my work for God. And then in verse 18, he says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. What his boasting betrays is a deep confidence that actually the one who is working through him is Christ. Christ is at work through Paul's ministry. So if Paul has reasons to boast in his work, he's really putting the spotlight only on what Christ has done through him. So much of this book has focused on Christ's work for us in our salvation. But when Paul comes to speak about this ministry of the gospel, he is actually boasting in what Christ works through us, through him. It's on, the gospel is what Christ does for us. The gospel ministry is what Christ does through us. And that's the encouragement Paul wants us to take from here. That for us to realize when we are called and encouraged to engage in gospel ministry, you're not alone. Paul was not alone. And Paul worked so diligently that he has, he gets this place of saying, I am not timid of the gospel ministry. I am, I am proud of what God has done through me. I have nothing to be ashamed of. This is not the sinful pride. This is that confidence that he has given his all and he has done everything to the ability that God has given him to do what God called him to do. Friends, if you are discouraged in the work God has called you to do, remember that you were never sent, to do, sent out to do the work of this ministry alone. When Christ sent you or called you to do a particular work, he promised to be with you and to work through you. And if you think your ministry is primarily about your work for God, it will easily discourage you. But if we remember that it is Christ who is working through our labor, then we can rest assured that his power is greater than ours, and his word will never fail. Paul was confident of Christ's work through him, not only for the past experiences, but also for the future. In this text, Paul shares that he has completed his ministry assignment in one region and is moving on to a new region. 
where the name of Christ has never been proclaimed. Here we see a unique part of the ministry that Paul received as an apostle. His unique calling as an apostle was that he would be the tip of the spear, breaking new ground, new territories, planting churches in new regions. And once churches were planted in those regions, Paul says, my ministry gospel or my gospel ministry is done in these regions. That's not to say that there was no need for more gospel proclamation in those places. The point for Paul was, I've planted churches. Now it's their job to continue to do that work around there. I'm going to break new ground in new territories. That's what apostles do. Break new ground. Now for all of us, it'd be great if each of, our, each of us learned this ambition that Paul speaks of. Paul says in verse 20, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. What an amazing ambition. Thus I make my ambition to preach the gospel. Now for Paul, because he was an apostle, there's a nuance. There's a, there's a further explanation. He says, I make my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul, as an apostle, had a foundational role to play. The New Testament tells us that Christ builds up his church on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Paul, as an apostle, had a foundation to lay. And he's saying, hey, listen, in the regions where the foundation has been laid, great. I'm moving on to new regions. My ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been preached. That's the work of an apostle. Oh, friends, for you and I, you and I may not have been called to be in a role of an apostle, you and I may not be called unnecessarily to be a missionary in a frontier pioneering area. There are some whom the Lord calls for that task. Praise be to God for that. But even if you and I are not called in this pioneering kind of way, I think this phrase that Paul uses, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, is a challenge for every one of us. Thus I make, this is my ambition, to preach the gospel. Oh, friends, as the Lord leads you and puts a burden in your heart to preach this gospel, remember, you're not sent alone. It's Christ who works through you. It's Christ who works through us. And Paul finds confidence in his calling by quoting a verse from the Old Testament that encouraged him. It's a verse that comes right before the passage we read earlier in Isaiah 53. It's Isaiah 52. Paul says, But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This actually, this verse is actually part of the so song of the suffering servant that describes a suffering servant of God who gave his life for the sins of his people. Now, this song anticipates the, the death of Jesus prophetically, tells us of the one who would come, whose death truly would accomplish all that the song described. But Paul looks at this song of the song of the suffering servant, and he takes from it this quote that actually those who have never seen will see. Those who have never heard will understand. Oh, friends, Paul looks at this verse and says, this is why I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. 
And to do so even in frontier places, pioneering places where Christ has never been preached. Because God has decreed, God has determined, God has assured us. He is going to make those who have never heard to understand. He is going to make those who have never seen to see. How? Through what? Through the preaching of the gospel. This is why the sovereign plan of God is never against evangelism. Those who believe in the doctrine of God's election should be the most zealous for evangelism because there's confidence that God will do it because he says he said he would. Who are you confident in? Even for gospel ministry, even for sharing the gospel in ourselves, in yourself, in, in abilities, in our gifts, in our readiness. How about reorienting our confidence to be engaged in gospel ministry in Christ who is able to do the work through us? It may surprise us to hear in this passage an apostle who says, I have reasons to be proud of my work for God. But honestly, can you say that about yourself? Not in a selfishly sinful way, but to the best of what God has called you to do and enabled you to do, to live such a life that at the end of it, you could say, I have reasons to be proud of my work for God. Not because I've done it, not because I've done much, but because of what Christ has done through me. That is what it means to live like a living sacrifice. That is what it means to be in this priestly role, serving the Lord as a priest. All of us who are believers are a royal priesthood. And this ministry that we have been entrusted, whether vocationally, whether a special career calling, like some are, or the non-vocational ministry that all believers are called to be and do. Let's look at these encouragements that Paul gives us as he showed us what motivated him for ministry. We, too, Christians in the 21st century, members of Park Hills Baptist Church, just like the Christians in Rome, we need encouragement for the gospel ministry. Even good churches need reminders. Gospel ministry is a grace given by God. The gospel ministry is not about you and I doing the work on our own. It's about Christ working through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. The grace by which you not only brought us to yourself so that we rebels would be restored and adopted into your family, that you have invited us to your meal and that even the meal we have taken today, we have been uh, eating today, is an anticipation of the great meal that Christ is preparing for us. But Father, you not only have given us a grace to believe and belong to you, you have also given us a grace to make this gospel known. Father, for those of us who have been slack, tired, or ignorant of the gospel ministry you have called us to partake in, would you awaken our minds, would you awaken our hearts, put in our hearts burdens for this gospel, but above all, help our eyes to see 
that it is not merely a burden, but a grace to be involved in it. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.